Psalm 107, verses 33 to 43. Psalm 107, verses 33 to 43. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste. Because of the evil of its inhabitants, he turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell. And they establish a city to live in. They sow food fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let the livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless waste. But he raises up the needy out of affliction. He makes the families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad. And all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray. God, it's good to be able to come together and to hear your word, to sing your praises, and to continue to ponder, to consider just how great you are. Father, we're thankful uh, for all of your word, for every chapter, every verse, every book that you give us. Uh, Lord, this summer as we've been in this book of Psalms, we just keep being reminded again and again uh, of how good it is to be taught how to pray, how to sing. Uh, how to exalt you for who you are. God, uh, with everything going on uh, around us, uh, we're mindful that this, this is where we want to be, in your word together, so that we can be reminded of what's really true and what's really good and what's really noble and just and right in this world, and that is you. And so, Lord, we cling to you today in dependence upon your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. This morning I want to ask you uh, what you think about when, what do you think about most of the time, most of your day, uh, when you've got uh, things going on, what, what consumes your mind? Uh, when maybe you've got a, a job to do, a task to do, and you say, I have to do this, and so this is what I'm thinking about. Or maybe you're dreaming of an opportunity that you're going to have, this something's coming up, and so you're looking forward to what it's going to be, and so you're thinking about what it would be. Imagine if somebody could, could take all the thoughts of your mind and categorize them and then put them on a pie chart, what would it look like for you? This is totally hypothetical, and I just have put some random categories and random percentages up there. But if you're like me, sometimes a diagram, a pie chart can be helpful. Uh, so if you had to take those categories or what other, other, whatever other categories uh, that are out there, and, and see which, which one gets the biggest chunk. 30% of your mental energy, what does it go toward? Is it work? Is it family? Is it news and politics and social media stuff? Maybe just the little bitty sliver, uh, uh, the little 2% sliver is what you think about food. You just, you don't think about it. It just happens. Or maybe some of you cook all the time. That's your biggest thought. What, how would you categorize your thoughts and what you think about and what percentage of your time goes to what to think? Now, some of you love stuff like this. Others of you just about had a nervous breakdown when I put a pie chart on the, on the screen because you're like, that's just ridiculous. So maybe movies are better for you. Maybe some of you think better in movies. So what movie, so to speak, is playing in your head 
most often. If you had to take a, a genre, a type of movie, and categorize the way you think, what would it be like? Do you spend most of your time thinking about fun things? Action, sports, activities, recreation. Is that the, kind of the, the mindset your, your mind is on? It's living in a fun type movie. Maybe your, your mind is more focused on information. You got stuff to do, you've you're, you got information to gather, and you're processing it, and so your mind's more like a documentary. Some of you live in uh, the ro romantic comedy world where everything is about a relationship and who said what to whom and uh, she said this and he said that and maybe that's good, maybe it's bad, whatever. Maybe you've got your mind is mostly consumed with a relationship. Or some of you think the whole world's out to get you and there's some creepy person behind the next corner. No, I'm just kidding. But we, we all face moments of anxiety and stress where you feel like your life is a suspense or horror film, don't you? Our mind goes to all these kinds of different places in different seasons and different parts of life. I don't know about you, but for me, over the last few months, my mind, I'd be scared to see the pie chart of what my mind has thought about over the last few months because it has been a crazy and hectic time, hasn't it? Our minds have been filled with news and information and all kinds of things that have just sent us reeling from between a, a, uh, the isolation of being in a pandemic to all the, the, the ways that we are facing, the tension around racial injustices in our world, our mind right now is just so uh, just uh, consumed with so many different things. And I imagine for many of us, for more time than usual, we've been doing a lot of thinking and planning and worrying and forming opinions and learning and leading and growing and changing those opinions. And we, we've kind of gone through all kinds of different stuff right now. It's been a tough season, a very emotional season. And so I, I ask you, what, what do you think about? Because I, I have a recommendation for you of, of something to think about, or better, someone to think about, who's the best thing we could possibly think about. We began part three of this Summer Psalms playlist last week on Father's Day talking about the love of a father. And I knew I could not fit all of Psalm 107 in one Sunday, so I saved this last section that Alex just read for us to bring us to this Sunday. Psalm 107 is primarily a psalm of thanksgiving. Five times through the first parts of this book, the first 32 verses, I mean, of this chapter, call us to give thanks for the steadfast love of the Lord. That's the clear theme. That's what we talked about last week, God's steadfast love. But then we get to the bottom of this chapter, the very last verse that was just read for us, and it says, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. So while he's calling us to give thanks for the steadfast love of the Lord, he's also calling us to remember it, to ponder it, to think about it, to consider it. And that is where we find true wisdom. Our whole world is searching for wisdom right now. Wisdom about what to do about a virus. Wisdom for what to do about uh, racial relationships. Wisdom for what to do for schools going back and, and church, how to do that. We, we got lots of questions. And the Bible is not going to answer each, every one of those, but it will get us to where we need to be. Here's where true wisdom is found. The wise ponder the Father's steadfast love. 
That's what we need to be filling our minds with more than anything else. The wise ponder the Father's steadfast love. Wisdom comes from attending to, considering, thinking about this. And that's what Psalm 107 invites us to do. To ponder it, to mull over it, to meditate upon it. Dave Moore isn't feeling well today. Normally he's sitting right there. Uh, but uh, you've, you probably have heard Dave Moore say this. He says he's quoting somebody else, but I give Dave Moore the credit for it. Uh, he says, if you think you don't know how to meditate on something, remember this, we all know how to worry about something. Just change the subject. Meditating upon God is like worrying. You know how you are when you worry. You stress about it. You wake up thinking about it. You go to bed thinking about it. You wake up in the middle of the night. You eat a meal. You remember it. You know, just all the time you're mulling it over. What would it look like to put God in the place of that thing we're so stressed about? To meditate on Him, to think of His steadfast love, to remember Him night and day. The wise ponder, mull over, consider, contemplate the steadfast love of the Father. The Father's steadfast love was the main topic last week. Uh, and we saw in, in Psalm 107, it goes through these four different kinds of trouble that all the different kinds of people go through. Whether it be uh, wandering in a desert, in a dry spiritual season, lost out at sea in the storms of life, in the prisons of our own sin, uh, or, or brought to sickness and death itself. And all four different kinds of trouble, different kinds of stresses we go through, but all of them had the same answer, the same way to respond to that. And that was to cry out to the Lord for help. Because we have one Lord who is Lord over all, and the one Lord who can answer our deepest needs. The steadfast love of the Lord is His unshakable, unstoppable, unbreakable love. And so this morning, what I want to call you to is to ponder that love, to consider it, to think about it, to mull it over, so that, that may sink deep into our hearts today. You can do that right here in Psalm 107. Listen just to the, some of the ways that this steadfast love has been described for a people who's in trouble. And the way that steadfast love intervenes in our lives to make things better. In verse 7, he brings wanderers to a city. In verse 9, he satisfies the longing of our soul and he fills the hungry soul with good things. In verse, verse 14, he brought them out of the shadow of death and burst apart their chains. In verse 19, he cut down the prison doors for those who were taken captive. In verse 16, in verse 20, he heals his people with his word. In verse 29, he stilled the storm and hushed the wave. This is our mighty and majestic God who uses his power and love for his people. And he's worth pondering, thinking about, considering. His steadfast love is worth pondering here in Psalm 107. And there's probably also some examples in your own life that's worth remembering. We as a people, I think, all suffer from a little bit of long-term memory loss, you know? We, we are thinking and can only remember the last day, week, month. We forget about all the things God has done for us over our lifetime. We come to God sometimes anxious and stressed and accusing Him of, uh, of not stepping in for us. And what we're saying is, God, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me today? forgetting our whole lifetime of God's intervention and blessings in our lives. We ride the, the roller coaster of our daily circumstances, 
And we come before God just based on what's happened today, forgetting his whole counts, the whole counsel of what he's done for us. When I was younger, I, I could tolerate roller coasters well, but I've been on a few here in the last few years that they don't, I, I, don't, I don't handle them quite as well as I used to. And I think the same is true for me spiritually. I got I to stand on some, some firm ground when it comes to the Lord. I can't just depend on what pandemic, so to speak, is hitting me this week. We've got to have more firm ground to stand on than that. The wise ponder the steadfast love of the Lord. So let me ask you, what do you, what do you think about? What, what fills your mind? Do you remember God's faithfulness? Do you remember what He's done in your life? I, I could recommend keeping a journal as a way of writing down, noting the things God has done for you. And then what I need to do, remember to do, is to go back and actually read it, right? To remember what He has done. My brother-in-law uh, got married in January, and his wife, now wife, just started graduate school this summer uh, in, in Columbia. And he was over a few weeks ago and was asking about kind of that season in our life. Because we got married right out of college, and I started uh, seminary, I accepted it. Uh, a scholarship in a seminary in Massachusetts, Gordon-Conwell. But when I accepted that, uh, and we planned to go and deposit, paid and everything, neither one of us had a job. Like, we were moving, I don't know if that's across the country or whatever, but a long way away, and, and no promises of a job. And I have a brilliant wife who is, was, had just graduated with a, a degree from Wofford and was qualified to teach high school Spanish in the state of South Carolina. But every state has their own licensing procedure, and so anybody in Massachusetts would have to give her a waiver. I forget how many different schools she applied for, upwards of 20 or 30. We got a call back from one, and one interview, and one job. God provided perfectly. And if it wasn't, and it, the bigger thing, even more than the finances, is our very best friends during our time there came through the connections in that town through that job. And I, when, when Noah, my brother-in-law, asked me about, you know, how did you, how did you even make it out of seminary, right, I mean, out, in seminary right out of college? And I, had, I just hadn't thought about that story in a long time. But I can look back and say, God was good. And God is good today. Even more than our own lives and maybe just one chapter in the Bible, I invite you to see that this is all the way through Scripture. If, you're, if your journals are filled with more pain than rejoicing, then, then maybe come to the Scriptures to see an even more firm foundation for this steadfast love of God that's worth considering, worth pondering, worth thinking about. Our experiences can be helpful, but over and over again in the Bible, we see this same pattern that we see in Psalm 107. God's people get in trouble. They cry out for help. God delivers them and they say, thank you. Remember the book of Judges? It's what happened over and over again. That's how we'll find wisdom is by pondering the steadfast love of the Lord. To see His love from chapter to chapter, from book to book, from creation to the great exodus, from the kings and the prophets, all the way to the coming of the Messiah and to His disciples through whom God changed the world. Over and over again, God's steadfast love for His people. And if we are wise, we will see that love and remember that and ponder that no matter what the roller coaster of life's circumstances looks like. Wisdom is probably something in the Bible we most often associate with the book of Proverbs. But here is in the Psalms, even there, he's calling us to be wise. If we really want to think about what matters most, if we want to grow in wisdom, 
It comes from pondering the love of the Lord. So let me ask you again, what do you, what do you think about? What do you think about? What fills your mind day to day? Is the scrolling and the headlines, is that what consumes your mind? Are you more focused on a relationship or a, a job that's in front of you or consumed with anxiety? Maybe God doesn't get the biggest chunk of the pie chart or, or, or the, whatever the main movie is in your mind, but, but maybe you could grow just a little bit this week, increase that percentage just a little bit, and see how those few moments, few extra moments with God would transform all the other moments in our lives. What do you think about? That's one of the reasons I felt it was worth saving part of Psalm 107 for this week, because God's steadfast love is worth more pondering. It's worth considering. And then specifically, here in these last few verses, there's an aspect of that love that maybe we don't talk about or think about quite as much as in other ways. We've talked about God's steadfast love as being eternal and unbreakable. But God's love is also this. The Father's steadfast love includes His sovereign love. God's steadfast love, the Father's steadfast love, includes His sovereign love. I really want you to see that because that's the main focus of these last 11 verses in this psalm. Sovereignty is probably not a word that you use in your everyday language. You probably don't use that uh, at work tomorrow. You're probably not going to talk about sovereignty. But when it comes to knowing God, this is a word worth knowing. This is a word worth having in your regular vocabulary because it really uniquely applies to God above all things. Sovereignty has this uh, you know, kind of kingly monarch. We don't, we don't have kings and monarchs nowadays, but if you think of a, a king over a kingdom, we would say that the king has all sovereignty or all authority throughout his kingdom. Sovereignty is God's complete authority over all things. That's what it means for God to be sovereign. And of course, that fits with everything else we know about God, right? He, is, he has all power. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere. He is unchanging. And He is perfectly good. So it only makes sense that He is the only one qualified to be in charge of everything. He has all authority. That's what it means for Him to be sovereign. So when we speak of God's sovereignty, we're saying not only does He have the power to do all things, but He has the authority to use that power in all places and at all times. You and I may nod along. That seems true enough. That's, that seems right. God's in charge. But I don't think that our, our regular way of talking about God has the same bent toward ex- understanding God's sovereignty like the Bible does. We, we don't talk like this. Psalm uh, 107.33 describe, describes God as the one who is responsible for drying up a river. And then in verse 35, it goes the other way. God is the one who takes a whole desert and turns it into a pool. If one of those things happened, if a river dried up, we would say, oh, that's a natural disaster, right? The hurricane comes, it's a natural disaster. Or if the opposite happened, maybe you know, somehow a new spring came out, you know, we would say, okay, that's not you know, normal or regular, but it's some kind of natural way the world works into doing whatever it does. But the way the Bible talks about that is it's nothing natural at all. It's supernatural. God is at work. And whatever is natural, so to speak, in nature and the world is there because God put it there. He created it. 
all the natural kind of laws of the universe are all things God put in motion. The Bible over and over again emphasizes God's authority and power and control in all things. So part of considering God's steadfast love for us is considering His sovereignty, His control. Those two things are meant to go together. And praise God they are. Because for God to say, I love you, is one thing. But then for God to say, and I have the power and authority to show you that love, is an even bigger deal. I may tell you I love you, but if I don't have any time for you, I don't have any power to influence anything in your life, then I can't really do anything about that love. But God, who has perfect love for you, also has all power and all control and all authority. And that's why that's really good news, that the Father's steadfast love includes His sovereign love. And that shows up in a few different ways. Verses uh, 33 and 34 talk about how the Father brings ruin to evil. He says he, he He turns rivers into a desert and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. The wicked may prosper for a while and... And, and, and so by our standards, it may feel like it's lasting a long time. But in the heavenly standard, in God's standards, it's just a little bit. Sooner or later, evil will be destroyed. God's in charge. He's sovereign. And He loves us. And He has a plan. And ultimately, He wins in the end. Think of all the diseases throughout humanity that have struck a major disaster for a little while. And then God stopped them with a vaccine, using smart people to figure that out. The measles, hepatitis A and B, tetanus, whooping cough, chickenpox, polio, smallpox. God can do that again with COVID-19 if He so chooses to even eradicate like He did with smallpox. He's in control and God can take a, a, an evil force like a virus, even that's not human, but a virus, he can take that force and he can wipe it out. He's in control if he chooses to do that. All kinds of evil human forces have terrorized humanity for some season of our existence, and God stopped them. Things like the Israelites' enslavement to the people of Egypt. Things like the Israelites being captive to the Babylonians, or the oppressive Roman Empire over the Christians. The Spanish Inquisition, numerous Russian czars like Ivan the Terrible, Joseph Stalin, Genghis Khan in Mongolia, brutal dictators across Central and South America, and slavery here in the United States. And the God who is in charge of all things brought an end to all of them. In each case, God stopped them, and God can do it again with racial prejudices here in the United States, even today, if He so chooses. God can take what seems like a flourishing evil in our world and end it because He's in charge. And sometimes we don't give God that. We think, I, I, I've got to worry about this. I've got to stress about this. I, I... No, God. God's in control. God's in control. The Father's steadfast love includes His sovereign love. And sometimes that's bringing ruin to evil. And other times it goes the other way where God brings blessing to the upright. 35 to 38 says, He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there He lets the hungry dwell, and, that's, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards, 
and get a fruitful field. By his blessings they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. If God can turn a river into a desert for the evil, then you know he can go the other way. He can take the deserts for the upright and turn them into a river. He can bless his children with the comforts of a city while they used to be wandering out. He can give his people food and fields and crops and livestock. He can bless them with growing children and a growing number of livestock. He can bring blessings. He is the source, the author, the giver of all good gifts. That's who our Father is. Now, of course, you've got to be careful because in today's world, people want to take that, that nugget of truth and run with it and say, hey, all you have to do to get blessings from God is just believe in Him and pray and send in 1995 to whoever's asking, and you'll get a blessing upon your life, you know? There's this gospel prosperity idea of, you know, hey, just pray, and everything's going to work out for you. God does promise, in the end, everything's going to be okay, but sometimes that's now, and sometimes that's very much later. I mean, we just read where the people were in a desert, in a storm, in prison, and diseased. That doesn't look like, you know, easy-peasy life. So God sometimes brings the blessing now, and sometimes it's later. But God is God in all those moments. He's in control, and we trust Him to be the source of all blessings. He looks after His people, even in the difficult times, and brings good even from the hard things. God is good to His family, especially when His family is hurting. He loves His children. His sovereign control, our Father, brings ruin to evil and blessing to the upright, and he brings justice to the oppressed. Listen to verses 39 to 41. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression and evil and sorrows, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. And he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. For those who are oppressing people, for those who are evil, God says ultimately He's going to send them out in the desert. Remember earlier in the chapter, the, the people, God's people were out in the desert and He brought them in. And so now He's taking the oppressors, the evil ones, and He's sending them out into the desert. And the needy, those who are beat down with affliction, He will raise them up. And of course, this brings up the issue that is so much uh, stressing us throughout our world today, throughout our country today. It's sad for it to be politicized and you know, so polarizing because we just want to see truth and justice and mercy here, don't we? This is who God is. He's the God who overcomes injustices and brings justice to the oppressed. We're going more aware as a country, as a society. I think there's a shift happening right now where we're more aware of some of the, the, the injustices that our brothers and sisters in different minority races are facing that maybe we, we that are in a majority race haven't seen before. We didn't, our eyes weren't open to that. But I think our eyes are beginning to see that a little more clearly. Of course, we can acknowledge, and we will, everybody will say, slavery was a, a horrible injustice. And it's the, the tragic ancestry of so many people who are black in the United States. That's the ancestry, is slavery. But of course, it didn't stop there. It didn't stop with the 13th Amendment. Coming to the, even to the last century, the Jim Crow laws that went on for decades where our country legalized. I mean, it's just, for somebody my age, I can't even get my head around that, right? But we legalized that it was okay to make people sit in different spots in restaurants and different places in the bus and 
different uh, parts in our community, different water fountains or bathrooms, just because of the color of their skin, right? We look back and we say, that's wrong. But sometimes it's harder to see the oppression that continues in our own world. God, verse 42, says, The upright shall see it, his work, and be glad, and all the wickedness shuts its mouth. The same court who legalized all that separate but equal nonsense had to shut its mouth when we overturned that and said, that's, that's not okay. Let us be on the side where, we, don't, where we, we celebrate. The upright see it and are glad. And we see God's work when He brings righteousness and holiness and justice like it should be. Let's not be on the side that is wicked and later has to shut our mouth because we didn't stand up for our brothers and sisters. God has made it clear that we're called to love our neighbors, to help those who are facing injustice. And I'll tell you, this is worth praying about a whole lot. And I was so glad our city invited a group of pastors. We prayed in front of City Hall yesterday. We prayed over those who are in minority populations and are oppressed. We prayed. We had our police officer, our police chiefs right there with us. We prayed over them. I cannot imagine having their jobs right now and how difficult that must be. It's worth bathing all those people in prayer to be mindful that, hey, there's, there's a lot of difficulty going on right now. And we want to be the kind of people that comes along and supports and encourages and builds up, especially those who are facing affliction. Because that's God's heart. That's God's heart. He brings justice to the oppressed. We're called to righteousness and holiness and uprightness. And if we stand with the Lord, then we'll be able to applaud those works that He does, maybe even in our generation. Because He is a Father who has steadfast love and all sovereignty, all power, all control to make that love happen. And we trust that the God who loves us has the power to show us that in His time and in His way. It's troubling out there, but we trust that God is in control. Nothing happens. We, we can stand firm on the Scriptures that nothing happens apart from the will of God the Father. He is in control. In the divine mystery, we, we, we are absolutely responsible for our sins. We are guilty for our actions, and God is in control at all times. Often the way we talk about our relationship with the Lord is, I, I made this decision. I made this plan. This is where I, I turned my life around. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about God that way a lot of times. But we come to the Bible and we never get the credit for those things because we didn't do it. God did. God turned us around. The Bible overwhelmingly emphasizes God's work. Job 42.2, I know, this is Job speaking back to God, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Jesus said in Matthew 10.29, Are not two sparrows sold for one penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Or Psalm 115.3, Our God is in the heavens and He does all that He pleases. All that He pleases. Alex pointed this quote out to me at one point from R.C. Sproul. He says, if there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we will have no guarantee that a single promise of God's will ever be fulfilled. Can you think about that? Every single molecule of the universe, God says, I have authority and power over that. And if that wasn't true, then, then God could be overturned. God could be destroyed. John Piper defined God's sovereignty this way. He said, God is powerful and authoritative to the extent of being able to override all other powers and authorities. And I want you to hear that 
This is really good news. If anybody else in this universe had all power and all authority other than God, it would not be good news. If I had that or you had that or any other human, it would not be good. But at the hands of our perfectly holy and righteous and loving Father, it's really good news. And that's why this this ending of Psalm 107 is so fitting. As he's proclaiming the steadfast love of the Lord, praise God that he has all power and authority. Four times over, the psalmist uh, invites us to sing with this thanksgiving. But then he ends when he's making sure you understand why we're being thankful, this love we're being thankful for. It's, It's because he's in control. And we praise him for that. So today, this is what I, I want to send you out with. This is what I want to end with by calling you to give thanks for the Father's sovereign, or steadfast and sovereign love. Give thanks for the Father's steadfast and sovereign love. That refrain repeated four times in Psalm 107 is this, Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. We've seen that that steadfast love includes His sovereign love. Praise God that He's not up there in heaven wringing His hands, worried about what's going to happen tomorrow. Praise God that He's not up in heaven pacing back and forth, wondering about how He's going to overcome the the biggest threats to humanity. Praise God that He's not anxiously strategizing about how to defeat the world's greatest problems. No, He's God. He is in control and He's at total peace with all things. God's got it. He's in control. And our response ought to be, Thank you. Thank you, God. We say thank you to God for providing His steadfast love that endures through any sin or any trial or any trouble we may throw at Him. We say thank you for God providing His steadfast and sovereign love who has ordained all things and all things are under His control. We tell Him thank you for the cross. Thank you for paying for our sins so that even our greatest Go betrayals against Him were not enough to separate us from Him. The cross proved His steadfast love. And the empty tomb proved His sovereignty. That even death couldn't separate us. So today, by God's Word, we give thanks to our God for His steadfast, sovereign love.